What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. And I have... That's so nice. Oh, yeah. They, 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 That's yeah. like a drink of cold water right there. I've been off for a week. I've missed you. I also missed a lot of news, which I did not miss. But there's some new news about the news because CNN is cutting back on overhyping everything as breaking news, which means... Yes. Which means overhyping everything is now up for grabs, so we have breaking news. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I stand before you shocked and terrified to report that what I'm saying right now means nothing. It is all a false sense of urgency to keep you captivated long enough to get to the next Lipitor commercial. And hold on, is this... I have to break into this breaking news with a breaking news alert. At 11.38 Eastern Time, host of The Late Show, Stephen Colbert, is feeling a bit snacky. Now, the story is... This story is still developing. No word yet on how and if it will ever resolve. Stephen, Stephen, tell me, my friend, what, what are you hearing? Well... I don't know how Bubba... Bubba Rose... Bubba Rose Rave. Thanks, Stephen. No. <laughs> Now, it was subtle, but you may have noticed we used some of CNN's graphics there. We found them in a dumpster behind the network next to Chris Cuomo and CNN Plus. Why are you awing? None of you watched it. According to an internal memo, CNN is cutting back on the breaking news graphic because its impact has become lost on the audience and CNN should be focused on informing, not alarming viewers. And with CNN out of the game, that'll leave plenty of alarming for the folks over at Fox News. In fact, <laughs> they are now counter-programming with Tucker Carlson's new show, Look Out! Gay Immigrants Are Coming For Your Penis! <laughs> now... Today, of course, is June 6th, and you know what that means. It's National Yo-Yo Day. <laughs> it also means it's exactly 17 months since the January 6th insurrection. And this Thursday, the January 6th committee is set to make its case public with primetime hearings. The insurrection, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. The insurrection. Insurrection is going primetime. Get ready for your new favorite show, America's Got Treason. Now, mm. Mm. we might actually get some answers from these hearings because due to a Kevin McCarthy hissy fit, 
The only Republicans on the January 6th committee are noted critics of the big lie, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. So, unlike... Unlike the insanely combative impeachment hearings, these primetime hearings might function normally. It'd be like an episode of The Real Housewives without any wine. <laughs> Luann, we just ate dinner. Now I'm going to bed at a reasonable hour and take a melatonin. Don't forget your doggy bag. I love and respect you. <laughs> I said goodnight! The January 6th uh, committee has gotten a lot of information from reluctant witnesses because they've been willing to play a bit of hardball. Take former presidential aide Peter Navarro, seen here pointing to his worst enemy. <laughs> Navarro... It's a good joke. Quality family joke. That ain't fat. Navarro was one of the ringleaders of the attempted coup and we know that because he cleverly confessed the entire plot on national TV. What I show in the In Trump Time book is the, this plan we had called the Green Bay Suite. The plan was simply this. We had uh, over 100 congressmen and senators on Capitol Hill ready to implement the sweep. The sweep was simply that. We were going to challenge the, the results of the election in the six battleground states. At 1 p.m., Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, and Gosart, a, a representative, started the Green Bay sweep beautifully, challenging the results of Arizona. The remedy was for Vice President Pence's, the quarterback in the Green Bay sweep, to remand those votes back to the six battleground states. Green Bay sweep. <laughs> so Navarro thought he could admit to trying to overturn a fair election on national TV and there'd be no consequences because he gave it a fun nickname? <laughs> officer, officer, you can't arrest me. I didn't do anything illegal. I was just doing a little move I like to call the bebop step stab. A bebop step stab, bebop step stab, 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 stab. Stab, stab, stab. Beep, beep, bop. Stab, stab, stab. Stab, 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 stab. The committee thought, here's a crazy idea. Let's subpoena the guy who admitted to planning the crime. Now, Navarro refused to show up to their subpoena. So on Friday, Navarro was indicted and arrested on two counts of contempt of Congress. He was... This upset Navarro, uh, and it also upset Texas Representative Louis Gohmert, <laughs> seen here suddenly remembering where his fingers have been. <laughs> After learning of Navarro's arrest, Gohmert actually said this. It actually puts an exclamation point on the fact that we have a two-tiered justice system. Uh, if you're a Republican, you can't even lie to Congress or lie to an FBI agent or they're coming after you, they're going to bury you. 
Nowadays, you can't even lie to Congress or lie to the FBI or hotwire a car, then drive that car to a bank and grab all the money at gunpoint, and then head to the nearest zoo to throw rocks at the pandas. There's just, there's a two-tier justice system. One tier for the people who obey the law and a whole different tier for the people who break the law. How is that fair? Hold still, Ling Ling! Hold still! <laughs> I winged him. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. We're getting more breaking news. Okay, this this is just in. Is this confirmed? He's just confirmed it. Louis Gohmert remains the dumbest man alive. <laughs> so. So one party openly attacked our democracy and then bragged about it, but somehow they're not the ones with the low approval ratings. Because according to recent polls, President Biden's approval is worse than the former president's at this point in his presidency. Not, not great. But I know how to help. Mr. President, go out to the Rose Garden and stare directly into a solar eclipse. Don't, <laughs> don't ask me why, but for some reason, people like that better than infrastructure. <laughs> now, it turns out, Turns out, behind the scenes, Biden is seething that his standing is now worse than the former president's. And I don't blame him. The last guy had terrible standing. <laughs> he looks like a penguin with a loaded diaper. <laughs> and now, and now, President Biden's team is worried he could suffer the same one-term fate as Jimmy Carter. Of course, we all know there's a big difference between Biden and Carter. Somehow, Biden seems older. But the White House has a plan. Put Joe on the road to highlight progress being made and let Biden be Biden. Yes, we're getting some Joe classic. But cover your kids' ears, because Biden has been so frustrated, he's reportedly resorted to salty language. <laughs> You're darn Rudy toot-tootin', you donkey-mouth boxcar jumping trolley ponies. They tried to take Grandpa's keys away, but I found them tucked under a crocheted teddy bear TP cover. <laughs> Just try and stop me, you taffy pulling, grass rattling, snarky malarkey clod of Ebbets Field sod. Your mother got stuck in her butter churn. Your pappy smooches the Kaiser's pickleaba. <laughs> now I'm hopping back in the Corvette. Wait, gas is how much? <laughs> Who the f is the president? <laughs> More late show poncho. Hey, everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate, though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week, I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts.
John, I gotta say, it is it is really good to see you. Yeah. We have not spent much time yes. on the stage together. I got COVID twice. Yeah. Then yeah. you got COVID. Yeah. And then you went and uh, you shot uh, uh, the musical Color Purple. The Color, the color Purple. Purple out in uh, Los Angeles yes. or something like that. Great, great, a great experience. What, did, what, what was that? What was that like? What, what were your scenes like? Did you? I, I loved it. You know, I think I might get more into acting. Oh. I like nice. it a lot. It, yeah. it was it was so cool to be on the set. I mean, you know, Taraji, they're pros, and sure. even Spielberg and Oprah. It just was like daunting to walk into it. Sure, sure, sure. But then once I was there, I started to check out how it's put together. You've been on those set. I've never been on a set like that. It was like a. I don't huge... think I've been on a set like that. It was like there aren't a lot of sets like that. I mean, man, I, I, it was incredible. They built a world, and then they had an alternate world that was indoors, <laughs> of the outdoor world. And it was just like every resource you could imagine to make a film. Because it's Spielberg and Oprah. <laughs> and I was like, man. They just built those worlds for fun. And they went, hey, we should do a movie in here. <laughs> it's like the indoor <laughs> version, the outdoor version. It was like, let's do a movie with I this. I can't wait for people to see uh, your part. You sent me some photos. And it, yeah. was, a, it was a fresh look. That car it really was cool, good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, John, it's wonderful to have you back. Good yeah. to see you. Oh, man, thanks, Lewis. Lewis, man. Lewis leading the band. Lewis the band has been great. Of course, there's nothing like John Baptiste, but Lewis, you killed it while John was gone. Thank you so much Thank for your leadership. You. John, John, uh, we, got, we got some fantastic. Our dear friend Jake Tapper. Oh, is Jake is in the house. I think yeah. his 11th. Yes. I think his yes. 11th appearance on the show. Mm. Folks, longtime viewers of this show know that I am not normally a huge fan of the British royal family. Give me back my family's land. <laughs> but given the desolate post-apocalyptic landscape that is the normal news, let's talk about the queen. <laughs> Lilibet took the throne at age 25 on February 6, 1952. So naturally, the Brits are celebrating her 70th anniversary in June. They were aiming for London's annual Day of Sunshine. <laughs> now, 70 years makes it the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, so I believe the traditional gift is to give her Africa. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, did they do a to-do. The UK celebrated with a parade, a military flyover, a flotilla on the Thames, and a corgi drone display. <laughs> it was the most high-profile example of British droning since any time Piers Morgan's opens his mouth. <laughs> Morgans? Is it Morgans or Morgan? It's Morgan. Okay. The Queen also took part in a pre-taped sketch featuring Paddington Bear. So lifelike. <laughs> Same with Paddington. <laughs> now, Buckingham Palace explained the Queen's participation in the sketch, saying, Her Majesty is well known for her sense of humor. Oh, yes. <laughs> like that practical joke she played on Prince Charles. <laughs> Never dying. The festivities. <laughs> Long may she wave, I say. Long may she wave. The festivities also included a hologram of a younger version of the queen projected into a golden carriage. Nothing says you're healthy and doing fine like resorting to technology from Disney's haunted mansion. Her. Her Majesty was also serenaded by the West End cast of Mamma Mia, who sang ABBA's song, Dancing Queen. 
Oh, yeah, Queen Elizabeth is known for her signature dance move. John, hit it. Not every royal family member was amused by the celebration, like four-year-old Prince Louis, who fidgeted, squirmed, and made faces throughout the event. His mother told him if he kept it up, his face would stick that way. And then as proof, she pointed to Prince Charles. Oh, my God. Wow. At one point, little Prince Louis seemed fed up with his mom and put his hand over her mouth to keep her from talking. He flailed around and did the classic thumb on the nosy. You, you tell me, you keep that up, young man, and no sticky toffee kidney pie for you. <laughs> now, the real surprise guest of the weekend was the queen herself, who, after being absent from events on Friday and Saturday, appeared on the palace balcony for a brief but moving royal shamble showing a classic British stiff upper lip and, really, stiff everything. <laughs> so, Liz, here's to another 70 years. We salute you. We'll be right back with Jake Tapper. My first guest tonight is a journalist and an author who anchors the lead and co-anchors State of the Union on CNN. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Jake Tapper. I have, I have a couple of college friends up there, and I want them to know, you couldn't see, but they were giving me a standing ovation. Those are your college friends? That, well, I have more than that, but that's two of them, yeah. Two of them? Why? The guy on the right looks like he could be your son. <laughs> Well, when he gets the mask off, it's different. I understand. <laughs> All right. There, you're Mr. Politics. Yeah. I think they call you on your Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, there's so much to talk about. Let's, yeah. let, let's talk to something that is... It's, it's looming, but may or may not be something. Following the tragic uh, attacks not only in Uvalde, but all across the country. Sure. So many mass shootings in the last 10 days. One of them in Philadelphia, like, literally half a mile from where I grew up. The South Street one. It's awful. Uh, Chris Murphy and Cornyn have been assigned by uh, Schumer and McConnell to come together in the Senate and come up with something. And the word is they've got something. Yeah. We don't know what it is other than the fact that it doesn't have background checks and it doesn't address... It doesn't reduce the number of automatic weapons. Or, or, or semi-automatic weapons. It won't... Yeah, they, I mean, what I, what... I don't know what's going to be in the final package. I do know that Republicans are eager for it to be something that can get not just 10 Republicans, but maybe 25 or 30 Republicans. They want it to be a, a, a big vote, a big bipartisan vote. So it Has will... anything been floated that you've heard Republicans are willing to get behind? Encouraging states to pass uh, red flag laws, which would enable okay. uh, community members or the police to petition to prevent somebody from being able to mm -hmm. purchase guns. Mm -hmm. This is something that actually has been shown to be very effective in Florida. Uh, they passed a red flag law after the horrible... Parkland shooting. When Rick Scott was still the... Rick Scott was the governor, governor yeah. and one of our correspondents, Leila Santiago, just did a great piece, interviewed the Pasco County Sheriff there, and he talked about how great this law is. It keeps guns out of the hands of people who are, not only would 
pose harm to other people, but to themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and she was in the courtroom, and there was a, somebody who had uh, expressed suicidal ideation, and he was uh, he was mourning his son who had died, and they talked. They took his gun. We saw the whole thing, and mm -hmm. it was to protect him. Uh, and what it about seems raising? To work. What about raising uh, the, the, age. the age for purchasing uh, semi-automatic weapons? Have you heard anything about that? I have not. I mean, it is it is an idea. Obviously, the the gunman in Uvalde, the gunman in Parkland, the gunman in Buffalo, all were 18. Um, I don't, you know, I think I, uh, there is a disproportionate amount of violence committed with semi-automatic weapons by men uh, 18 to 21 mm -hmm. um, in that three-year age group. So that's something that's been floated. I don't know if that's going to be introduced. I don't know if it's going to pass. Um, it, it was when Chris Murphy, when I interviewed him yesterday, he, I don't think he mentioned that uh, when he talked about things that, that could theoretically be in the final product. You were, um, you were reporting when Columbine happened in 1999. So. I went to Denver right after Columbine for the NRA convention uh, in Denver just days after. And uh, it, was, it was so, you talk about grief a lot. Uh, in your life, not necessarily here, but but it's one of the things that you and President Biden talk about uh, very movingly. This was dry, this was flying into a city, and you could feel the grief. I felt it uh, when I went to Parkland one week after the shooting. We did that town hall, and I walked into that arena, and you could feel just the despair, the utter despair. It, it's very difficult to convey to people. Well, how? As someone who's covered this for so many years now, we forget that Columbine, besides being a extraordinary horror, was not a common event at the time. And it's become all too common in the last yeah. 23 years. How has the discussion of a gun, what's called sensible uh, Right, common gun, sense gun reform. Uh, yeah. that's, that's the phrase, common sense gun reform. How has that conversation changed in the last 23 years? Well, first of all, I mean, what's very clear is that there is less willingness of Republican legislators to vote for it. And I think that is because there is much less willingness on the behalf, on, on the part of Republican voters to support it. Um, and How do you think that came about? Because in, in the 1990s, the assault weapons ban, yeah. that was a bipartisan bill, wasn't it? Nine Republicans, including Republicans from states like Indiana, uh, voted for that ban. Um, there were nine, uh, it was like, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was something that Republicans would be willing to vote for. I, I can't really explain it, um, but it is very clear that there is one political party that just is very reluctant, and I'm not even talking about the leaders as much as I am of the voters, to, to pass new laws on these things, except... We did see in Florida, after Parkland, the Republican governor and Republican-dominated legislatures pass a very sweeping series of reforms that included raising the age from 18 to 21, a waiting period, red flag laws, making schools safer, more mm -hmm. school security, and a whole bunch of things um, that really had an effect. And it might have been because the Parkland kids were so active and outspoken. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what makes it different from today or Congress, uh, except maybe you can't get in the face of a, a congressman as easily as you can get in the face of a state representative, maybe. What, I know you, in, in the best of all possible worlds, uh, Congress is responsive to their voters. You're saying, like, it's the voters who won't allow them to do yeah. this. But 90% of Americans, and a vast majority of Republicans, want universal background checks. Right. 
but it doesn't happen. So that kind of flies in the face of, well, it's the voters. Yes, except when you poll, uh, you're polling the public. The public is not the same as the voters. In the primary. The voters are the people who turn out and vote. I see. The public uh -huh. are just all the people who exist. And so it is different. And then often there will be uh, a, an issue that polls very well in a state, and then they have a referendum on that issue. And this just happened in Nevada and in Maine. And it becomes like a razor-thin uh, margin of victory or defeat, uh, even though the issue polls at 70% uh, or something. Okay, let's go on to, let's go on to the, the next... <clears throat> can, I, can I just say one more thing about guns? Because this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. And that is, how do we cover it in the media? Are we covering it the right way? I don't know that we are. And the reason I say that is because, Stephen, you and I, um, when I wrote my book about Afghanistan, um, we, we, and you were on the other show on a different network, yeah. uh, we, we talked about you know, all the decisions I made when writing this book. And one of the decisions I made was, how graphic should I be when describing what happens to these service members in, in the book, in the pages, without pictures, but yes. like, how graphic should I be? And it was something I thought about a lot. And I think about it a lot when it comes to this when it comes to gun violence, because it is so sanitized, the versions of the stories that we show people. As horrified as we are, we're not actually seeing it. We're not seeing anything. Think about how shocking it is in a local crime report when you see, like, a little bit of blood on the sidewalk. Yes. It's stunning. You never see that. Well, who are we protecting? I, I, I'm not calling for media to show anything that people, um, that family members don't want out there or whatever, but... You know, I asked my team, like, after the Uvalde shooting, and again, I, I understand why people are horrified. It's awful. But, I mean, are there images of, of ambulances? Are there images of body bags? Like, what, what is available? Because we're not doing the public a service by just describing what happened, and then all you see is a bunch of cops standing outside a building. And it's just ultimately so horrific. And I've said this a million times on, on my show. The adults of the United States are failing the children of the United States. We have to take a quick break. Right. But when we come back, I will ask Jake about what to expect from the January 6th hearings starting this Thursday. Stick around. Thursday, January 6th hearings kick off in prime time. Yeah. And your guys are covering it live. Oh, I yeah, assume. I'll be anchoring it, man. My, my fear is that we're going to learn a lot of proof about the things that we knew as opposed to things that we didn't know that will change minds. Well, first of all, I think it's very important that people understand this is not just about January 6th. It's not just about the people who stormed the Capitol. It is about them, especially those who weren't swept up in the moment, but were, were part of a plan. Mm -hmm. But this is about a months-long strategy for Donald Trump and his supporters to do everything they could because they were so desperate to hold on to power that they were willing to take away legal votes from American voters, that they voted whether or not in the House of Representatives um, there was an effort to disenfranchise 
the entire Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and disenfranchise Arizona. There were votes on that. Um, now, maybe you're not from Arizona or Pennsylvania. I'm from Pennsylvania, so my mom and dad's vote was in that, in that batch. And I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like the fact that they wanted to take away my mom and dad's vote because they didn't like how co the Commonwealth voted. Uh, this is about an effort to subvert democracy. So I just hope that the, whatever is presented is presented in as compelling a way as possible that this was not just a group of people that got a little bit rowdy and, uh, you know, did some stupid things. This is about a strategy and a conspiracy. Um, this spring, you spent two weeks in Ukraine. I did, in okay. April, yeah. Uh, among other things, you, you interviewed uh, President Zelensky yes. over there. Volodymyr Zelensky. Volodymyr Zelensky, and, and you also celebrated a little Passover. I did celebrate Passover. It was, uh, yeah. it was the first time I had not had a Seder in my entire life. Uh, but uh, the, the... A one-man Seder. I had a one-man Seder. Well, the, the local Orthodox uh, rabbi, believe it or not, there is a local Orthodox. So there's one everywhere. When they land on Mars, there's going to be a Lubavitcher <laughs> rabbi. Wait, welcome! Um, <laughs> but uh, they, uh, he gave me a little a Seder in a, in a box, so yeah. I was able to do that. I gave some matzah, actually. Zelensky's Jewish. I don't think he's particularly observant. Um, but Zelensky's Jewish. When I came for the uh, interview, I gave him a box of matzah. And he was, thanks. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> which, was the, which was for anybody who ever has had mods of the correct response. Um, Jake, wonderful <laughs> to see you. Thank you so much you. for being here. Thank you. This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. If you're enjoying The Late Show Poncho, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 11.35, 10.35 Central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. And for more exclusive Late Show content, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube.